Well, certainly we have uh, our share of trials and difficulties that, that we all experience in this fallen world, and right now is no different. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is uh, attempt to relieve a little bit of the stress. seems everybody's stressed out, a um, lot going on for sure. And what we had planned here this morning was uh, a family worship that we do periodically throughout the year, usually on holiday weekends like, like this one. And uh, what that means is we would have had uh, adults and kids present uh, here in this room. And, and so I, I planned accordingly. And so th- this message actually is going to be for anyone from the age of uh, five to 105. So uh, if your kids are uh, in bed, you can go drag them out. Uh, or if they're doing nothing, say, hey, Mr. Mike's uh, on the internet, on, the, on our computer screen. I, I got a little something for them and for us, and I pray that, that God will speak to uh, all generations really here this morning. And so what I wanted to do was uh, create a little game. I made up a game, and I titled it myself. It's called Which is Which? And so we're, we're going to go ahead with the game, even though, you know, you're at home and you can play along at, at, the, at the house. And let me explain how this game is going to work. I'm going to make three statements. I will say three things, but only one of them is true. The other two are not. One is just completely fake. Uh, I just made it up in my mind. Uh, the other one is... Uh, sort of true, but it's not. So that makes it false. And of course, the other one is true. And so the name of the game is which is which. And so you need to do what? Guess. You have to figure out which is which. All right. Got it. Let's play the game. Statement number one. You got to listen carefully. Near Detroit, Michigan, Mally's Restaurant offers on their menu a 238-pound cheeseburger. Is that fake, false, or true? Statement number two, Ayanna Williams of Houston, Texas. She has very long fingernails. The total length of her nails is over 18 feet long. And lastly, Steve Kaberski from Sarasota, Florida, He was able to fit 64 full-size marshmallows in his mouth all at one time. That's the game, which is which. Now you get to cast your vote. We have a cheeseburger, we have uh, long fingernails, and we have marshmallows. One is fake, one is false, and one is true. So let's take them one by one. Let's start with the cheeseburger. 238-pound cheeseburger. Is that fake, false, or true? I'll give you a second to answer. You can play along at home. The answer to that one is false. That is false. Let's go to the next one, the 18-foot-long fingernails. Fake, false, or true? That one is actually true. And so if you know anything about the process of elimination, we know that the marshmallows, the 64 marshmallows stuffed in one guy's mouth, is completely fake. I just made it up. So now let me fill in some of the details, because you might want to 
ask a few questions now uh, at this point. Let me, let me share some additional information with you. That 238-pound cheeseburger that I said Mally's Restaurant offers, I said that is false. But Mally's Restaurant near Detroit actually does offer a burger, and this burger is 1,793 pounds. I'll show you a picture of it. There it is. That thing weighs nearly 2,000 pounds. It costs, if you want one of these, you can actually order it. It's on the menu, but you better save up because it's eight grand. It costs $8,000 to purchase this burger, and they need three days' notice if you want to order one, which three days seems pretty short to me. They're pretty good over there. But uh, that is false. It's not 238 pounds. They did create one that was 138 pounds, and that was a record for a long time. But then uh, they, they, they way outdid that with a, a hamburger, a cheeseburger that's 1,793 pounds. But that one was false. The next one, uh, the woman with 18-foot-long fingernails, I said was true. Let me introduce you to Ayanna Williams of Houston. Houston uh, produces some crazy characters, I'll tell you. That was a little joke because Pastor Ben's from Houston. I, I digress. Ayanna Williams, she has nails that measure over 18 feet in length, and she says it takes up to a week to paint them. And it's especially difficult to pull up her pants, which I would imagine there's many things difficult for Ms. Williams. But there you go. That is true. And then so the last one, the 64 marshmallows, that one is fake. I just made it up. Therefore, that image is unavailable. So here's my question for you. My question for you, why did we do that? Why did we play that game? There is a method to the madness. I want to ask you, how did you make your guess? In other words, what, what did you use to, 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 to cast your vote? What, what, did, what was it that you relied upon that, to, that you wanted to arrive at the correct answer, whether it was true, false, or fake? How did you do it? And I imagine you, you might have done one of two things. The first thing is you just used your reasoning. You just thought about it in your mind. You thought, well, which one of those is likely? Hmm, and you just kind of weighed it, mulled it over, and said, I'll guess, right? You use our reasoning. And maybe number two, which you might have used a combination of, of, of both of these, is you might have appealed to the, um, the majority rule, the majority of people that are there with you. If, if there's four of you there and, and you thought the marshmallow thing was was true, and, but the other three said, no, 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 that's got to be fake, uh, you might have changed your vote because you went with the majority of the people. And so you could have employed one or both of those methods, but I need to tell you that both of those methods are actually flawed. They, they have limitations. Let me explain. If you were to just purely rely on your own reasoning, it's just, you know, you and your mind out on an island, no other Reese's available to you, and you have to try to figure something out. Is that good? Is that a, a productive way to, to arrive at truth? You know, uh, do you ever get duped or, or deceived? I do. See, I would say that we can't always trust our reasoning. Why? Because we make mistakes. We all do it. And so I would even argue that, that we could be deceived 
rather easily. I do. I'll show you. I'll deceive you right now. Go ahead right now and spell the word silk. The word silk. Let's spell it together. S-I-L-K, right? What do cows drink? If you said milk, I just deceived you. Cows produce, we had somebody here, I I won't mention his name. He said milk. They produce milk, they drink water, okay? I just caused you to make a mistake in reasoning. See, I think we we, we think far too highly of our reasoning abilities. And it's so easy to make a mistake. And if we're making mistakes on simple little word games like that, how is it that we expect to, to arrive at correct conclusions when it comes to uh, really philosophical, complex questions like, who is God? And, and where did we come from? And how are we to live here on earth? And, and where do we go when we leave this place? I mean, if, if we're blowing it on cows and milk, uh, we, we expect to get those questions right based upon our, just using our own reasoning? See, and this is what the Bible says. The Bible actually says that we're not to trust our own reasoning, but rather trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we just go with the majority then? Maybe, maybe whatever the majority of the people, they, there's a lot of them, maybe they got it right. Okay, so, you know, if we can't do it on our own, maybe we just get a whole bunch of people together, let them all use their reasoning, and maybe that's how we get truth. Well, I would argue there's still a problem with that. Why? The majority could be wrong. If you lived back in in, uh, Germany, back in the 1930s, and you were part of the the government there, the Third Reich, and, and you were a government official, you were surrounded by a whole bunch of other people who thought that Jews were subhuman. And, and this world would be a better place if they were just removed from the planet. And they, they sought and actually killed millions upon millions of Jewish people. And, and this was the majority view in, the, in that context at that time. And obviously, they are wrong. See, and... You know, the, the, going with the crowd is not a good way to arrive at whether or not something is good, moral, or true. Jesus spoke about this. Didn't he mention the, the broad road? He said, the broad road, it's big, it's wide, and there's lots of people on it. But where does that road lead? It leads to destruction. And he says, on the contrary, there's a narrow road, and there's only few there. Few there be that find it, but that road leads to life. So our own fallible reasoning is insufficient, and so is just going with the majority of other fallible people. So what's the answer? How how do we determine what's true and what's not? I would say this. I would say we need to rely upon a reliable source that serves as the, the authority, the ultimate authority on whatever it is we're considering. See, for that little game we played, which is which, whether you realized it or not, we, we were dealing in the area of world records. Okay, that, that, that's what those were. And when I say world records, perhaps a name pops into your mind. 
Uh, you, you saw a clue on those pictures there. There's, there's a group, an entity, they, they even wrote a book about world records. It, it's called the Guinness Book of World Records. They are the authority on world records. And so where did I get those from? Right here. This is my source, okay? I went to them in this book. See, while we were playing that game, I, I, I was hoping that maybe you were thinking, you know, Mike, um, why should we believe you? I mean, you're up there talking about marshmallows and large cheeseburgers and fingernails like you're some kind of authority. Why should we trust you? That is a very good question. You shouldn't necessarily trust what I tell you because I'm one of those mistake-prone, fallible human beings. I could be wrong. What if I even said to you, well, listen, hey, I... I showed you some pictures. I got them from the internet. And you know, everything you get on the internet's got to be true. Pause for laughter. Yeah, that, that is laughable. We know we can't believe everything that we see and read in internet land. You ever heard of Photoshop? Video editing? Right? And I would even say that we can't rely upon our own senses. We don't. You don't rely upon your senses all the time. If you ever went out into a, a river or a lake in a canoe and, and you put that, that oar into the water, what happens to the oar? It goes in the water and then it bends, right? No, it doesn't. But that's what your eyes tell you. But you don't believe your eyes in that moment because you know something else is going on. It's you know the way the light refracts in the water. I don't know. I don't want to get all technical. I don't know how it works. But the reality is our eyes are deceiving us in that moment. We can't trust them. And so how are we to navigate in a world that is filled with deception? I would argue now more than ever, with everybody chiming in on the internet, here's my view, here's, here's my perspective, all, all the different prank videos that are out there, you don't know what to believe anymore. That's the world we live in. So you should have asked me, Mike, as you're spouting off about really large cheeseburgers, what's your source? Where are you getting your information? Kids, you guys do this all the time. At least when I was a kid, somebody says something, what do you say? Yeah, says who? Right? Which is actually a really good question. It's an appeal to authority. Right? It must go beyond the person who's just delivering the message. Yeah, what backs that up? What's behind that claim that you just, yeah, you said it. Says who? You or somebody else? So for me, I used this book right here to come up as my, my, uh, with my examples for our game of which is which. Now, the question becomes at this point is, can you trust this book? You know what my answer to that is? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, perhaps it's, it's reliable to some degree, but it was written by those fallible human beings like you and me. They could have made a mistake. You know, when they're weighing that cheeseburger, you know, like the guy who balanced the scale, did he do it properly? Was somebody leaning on the scale at the time? Or was somebody standing on the scale that would yield for us an inaccurate result? How do you even weigh a 1,700-pound cheeseburger? I got lots of questions. 
I don't know that I can trust what is in this book with 100% certainty. So let's forget this book. And let me ask you, is there any book out there, any book at all, that serves as an ultimate authority? It's 100% trustworthy. If there was such a book, what would need to be true about its author? Well, the author would need to be perfect themselves, right? Incapable of error in order to write a perfect book. I would say they need to be good. Why? Because they could, they could you know, be perfect, a perfect individual, but really be kind of nefarious and, and, and distort the truth and feed you lies if they're not good. So they need to be perfect and, and good and all-knowing. If they don't know everything, they could perhaps unintentionally lead us astray. Not, not, even, not even a trying to, because they just they didn't know. So I ask you, adults and kids alike, do you know anybody like I just described that meets all of those criteria? Anyone who's perfect, without uh, flaw, doesn't make mistakes, completely trustworthy, would never lie, and knows everything? I do. It's the Lord. That's, that's God. And then we ask, has he written a book? Is he an author? And I would say, yes, he is. He wrote something called the Holy Bible. So what I want to do is I want to open it up, and we're going to read a portion of it. What we're doing here today is we're, we're wrapping up our series on following the faithful. And what we've been doing so far is following, uh, you know, looking at particular individuals. Uh, Abel, um, Rahab, Ruth, um, Zacchaeus. We're looking at these individual people that the Bible highlights for us. But today, at the culmination of the series, I want to look at a group of people. And they're known as the Bereans. Today, we're, we're going to follow the faithful Bereans. And so what we're going to do is we're going to consider what God wrote through the human author, Luke, in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. So I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, uh, to, to take that out, please, and, and, and look at it. Don't trust what I say. Don't trust what's on the screen. See it for yourself. We're just going to look at two verses, Acts 17, 10, and 11. And, and while you're turning there, let me set the table. We, uh, we're in the book of Acts. And, and we're seeing a couple of Christians here, uh, the Apostle Paul and his buddy Silas. They're, they're going from town to town on a, on a missionary journey. I believe we're in the second missionary journey here, where Paul and Silas would enter a town, they would go to the synagogue, and, and they would preach Christ crucified. They would go in there and they would talk about Jesus and share the good news of the gospel. And where we're at in Acts 17 is that they had just left a place called Thessalonica. Uh, the people who live in Thessalonica are known as the Thessalonians. You may have heard of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, those people. But now they're entering a town called Berea. And guess what the people who live in Berea are called? The Bereans. You got it. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick it up in verse 10 of Acts 17. And if you are able, we do ask that you would stand in honor of hearing from the Lord. 
Acts 17, verses 10 and 11, reading from the ESV. The Word of God says this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Thank you. You may have a seat. I want you to notice how Luke, uh, who's inspired of of the Holy Spirit, who is God, notice how he uh, describes the Bereans. He uses the word noble. And and, and when I hear the word noble, I I don't know, I think like kings and queens and, you know, uh, officials and people that are just like really like button up folks, you know, that's nobility in my mind. But it's very interesting how how Luke describes the Bereans as being noble. He says that they were receiving the word with all eagerness and examining the scriptures daily to see if what they were being told lined up with God's word. For them, it would have been the Old Testament. They're fact-checking, basically. They're examining whether or not what they're hearing from Paul and Silas, a couple of fallible men, if what they're saying is consistent with what God has already said. It'd be like for us today. If somebody was to, to, to pipe up and say, listen, hey, I have something to say about God. If you're a good Berean, you're going to listen very carefully to what they say, and you're going to compare everything that they say in the name of God to the Word of God, the Bible. That's what it means to be a Berean. I want to give you an example of what this looks like, a real-life example of of how this plays out. Uh, It's recent, just this past Thursday, I I had the the privilege again to be down at Bethesda Mission. I go down there on on Thursdays and lead a chapel service. And, uh, you know, I was was working on this uh, message. I, I had just gotten started on it, and I'm working on it on short notice, and and I, so I had some notes kind of cobbled together, and I, and I took it down there, and I told them, I said, I, I'm preaching this weekend, and, uh, you know, I got I to gotta try out the portion of this uh, sermon here, uh, see if it makes sense. You're kind of my guinea pigs, and they, that sounds really bad, but they laughed, and so they appreciated it. So I was talking to them about this, and then there was a guy way in, in the back. He, he raised his hand, and he said, I have something to say about God. So what I did is, is I, I went back to where he was. I'm not going to travel too far, Pastor Ben. I'll stay in the shot. But I went back to where he was because I wanted to listen very carefully to him. And you know what I'm doing during that time? I, I'm, I'm beginning to think, all right, what do I know about the Bible? And is what is about to come out of this guy's mouth consistent with it? That's what I'm doing. I'm comparing everything that he's saying with the Word of God. Is it consistent? Does it line up? Here's what he's going to say. Here's God's Word. Do they, do they come together or do they go like this? That's, that's what I'm thinking. And, and I, I wrote down what, what he said. To the best of my recollection, I want to I quote him accurately. Here's what the man said. He said, I think, which whenever he started, I think, ears you know, should peek up. I think there are many spiritualities. 
Everyone's got their own path, and they all lead to God. People have their truth, and they should just follow whatever works for them. That's what he said. So in my mind, I'm, I'm flipping Bible pages, and I'm trying to think, is that consistent with the Word of God? And you know where I landed? I landed in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Let me read to you what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He said to a man named Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not what that man said. In fact, that man said the exact opposite. So either he's right or Jesus is right. They both can't be right. And so for me, I have to decide, who am I going to believe? Him or Jesus? You know, and I want to tell you, I I didn't yell at this man. I I didn't call him names like heretic, right? I I, I said to him, uh, I said, sir, that is your opinion, and you're entitled to it. This is America. You can believe that. You can even say that. Uh, that, that's, that's kind, kind of how, that's one of the great things that I love about America. He can say that, but I, but I, I read to him John 14, 6, and I said, but you need to know at the same time that what you just said directly runs into the word of God. They, they just crash into each other. And I said, either you're right or God is right. And I just let it go at that. Now, if he even said to me, well, listen, I think you and your Bible are wrong. He can say that. And if he wanted to tell me all about it after the chapel service, you know what I'm doing? I'm clearing my schedule. I'm going to take this dude out. We're going to get some coffee, Bible open. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, well, right here in, in this epistle, in this gospel, in this portion of the Old Testament, I'm going to quote the scripture. I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says. Thus says the Lord. And if he's coming with, well, I think, and this is my opinion, and that's my perspective, uh, then we just have that great conversation. We're, we're seeking to do what? Arrive at truth. That's what we're trying to do. But the reality is there are huge consequences for what we believe. My friends, theology matters. Doctrine matters. You can't just believe whatever you want and say, well, it's just my belief. Your belief has ramifications. It does. There is such a thing as truth, and God's word is truth. He's the ultimate authority on all things, and the question for you and me and that man, which I told him, I said, who are you going to believe? Who are you trusting? Your own reasoning or what God has said? See, what we need to do is we need to filter everything, and I mean everything, through the lens of Scripture. Everything that comes our way, the things we hear, we see when we watch the news, not, not just things in the realm of religion. I would say everything, because why? God created everything. He created everything. He knows how it functions, and he knows how it ought to function, and he's the one we need to trust. He's the knowledgeable one. He's that ultimate authority. He's our source. And it goes well beyond the religious realm. For example, let's apply it right now. When we we look around our our country and we say, you know, how are we to understand all this this racial strife that we're we're seeing? Let's go to the scriptures. 
How are we to understand our relationship to those uh, governing authorities that are above us? Go to the Scriptures. How are we to understand face masks? Go to the Scriptures. And yeah, we might disagree, but notice what's going on here. One Christian comes to the Bible and says, here's what I think it says. But then the other person also comes to the Bible, and this is where we tangle. We just, we try to work it out. But we're going somewhere. We're not just popping off with whatever we think in our mind. Very dangerous business to be engaged in that. And I think far too many Christians are not appealing to the Word of God. They're saying, this is my opinion. This is my perspective. I think. Well, if that's not grounded in anything, especially the Word of God, frankly, who cares? You shouldn't care what I think. If, if, if I get up here, Pastor Mike or Pastor Ben, and all we're doing is, I think, this is my perspective, here's my view. If that's all you hear from here, you need to leave this church and never come back. Go find a church where they open up the Word of God and they say, thus says the Lord. And that's what we seek to do. Now, occasionally, I guess, uh, our opinions get in, interjected in there. But, but we're all going to the Scriptures and we're asking God, teach us. Teach us so that we can then share it on Sunday morning. That is what we're trying to do. But we have this as our authority. And our statements need to be grounded in it. Because if you just offer your opinion, one person with their opinion, well, here's what I think. Yeah, well, here's what I think. Big deal. Where are you going to go with that? It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get us to truth. See, what we need to do is we need to rely on the one and only truly reliable source who is the ultimate authority on everything because he's the creator of everything and he knows everything. That means that we need to practice this even in the mundane, even in the day-to-day stuff. Forget the big philosophical issues that are hard and granted, it's, it's not easy to do this. But you should ask, how do I spend my money? Go to the scriptures. How should I be spending my time? Go to the scriptures. How do I raise my kids? Go to the scriptures. The scriptures speak on every single one of those. Kids, you should be asking this as well. You should be asking, should I watch this movie? Should I be playing this video game? Should I honor and obey my parents? Guess what? God's word has something for you on every single one of those. Sometimes he speaks to it directly. Children, obey your parents. There's no wiggle room there. What does he mean by obey your parents? Obey your parents. It's cut and dried, okay? No question about it. Video games? I don't recall any verses about video games. They didn't even exist back then. So maybe God has nothing to say about video games. Not true. Not true. See, God is smart, okay? He, he's kind of brilliant like this. He, he creates what's known as a principle. He gives us a principle in his word that we can then pull out and then we can apply here, apply here, and apply here, and here, and here. We can, across the board, apply this principle so that God doesn't have to speak about every last thing. I mean, that book would be larger than a uh, you know, 2,000-pound cheeseburger, and nobody would read it. Instead, he gives us principles and he says, here, use this tool to help you understand that and that, 
right? And so he does speak about video games. Let me give you a, a verse for you to consider. God says in Philippians 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Kids, you've got to consider that next time you turn on Netflix and you're about to watch something, that God hates. You need to think about that verse next time you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you're robbing a liquor store and carjacking somebody. That verse needs to pop into your head. And then the question is, who are you going to listen to? You or God? And believe me, I know this is hard. I'm coming. I'm coming strong. Our flesh doesn't like this. I get it. I get it. Our flesh wants one thing. God says otherwise. Question is, who are you going to listen to? Who or what is the guiding authority in your life? Is it you? Whatever you say goes? Or uh, your friends, your crew, whatever they say? You know, right now, you know, we're, we're all thinking about what our mom said to us when we were little, Right? If everybody jumped off a bridge, would you too? Right? I mean, don't sleep on mom's logic, okay? God created moms and he knew what he was doing because sometimes they nail it. That's exactly what I'm saying here. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. So I wanted, so as I was writing this, I'm like, all right, I, I want to, I you know, climb in this with you, all right? Because I'm not immune to this. I got flesh. I got, the flesh within me wants certain things. I'll share with you a, a struggle that I have. My flesh likes stand-up comedy. You might say, well, what's wrong with stand-up comedy? Well, there's, there's all sorts of stand-up comedy, uh, and I like all kinds, but I, I happen to listen to a, a comedy that's known as blue. If you're not familiar with that term, blue comedy is when the comedian uses bad words. And the question is, as, as a Christian, should I listen to that? This is what goes on inside my mind. This is the struggle that I have. You know, these guys are funny. I, I enjoy it. it. does something for me. But what does God say? And the verse that there's, I'm sure there's multiple verses and you could probably uh, you know, email me them, and that's fine, because uh, this is, like I said, a struggle I'd like to overcome. But I always think about Ephesians 4, where it talks about, do not let any unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth. And, and the wrestling match that happens in my mind, just letting you in a little bit here. It's a dangerous place in here. But, but here's, here's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, well, I'm not saying those words. Okay, so maybe it's all right. But am I condoning what they're saying and laughing at something that God says is forbidden? See how this plays out? You know, should I be doing it? And then you know what I think about? If it goes in here, how long before it comes out here? And it does happen. It does happen. I say that to my shame. But this is the struggle. But here's the encouragement. Let this be an encouragement to you. The only reason I struggle here is because I'm seeking to submit my life, every aspect of it, to the Word of God. 
if, if I wasn't, I wouldn't even be talking about this. It wouldn't be a struggle. I'd just watch it and consume it all I want. But the fact that it is a struggle is good news for me. You know, it's, it's what I want to do. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but, but God is, is working on me. And, you know, this is one of the things about preaching. I can't speak for the other people who occupy this spot on the weekend. But when you're preparing a sermon, God just has a way of like, yeah, you need to say this to the people, but I'm saying it to you. And, and, and then I get up here and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I can't go home and watch uh, Bill Burr now for, you know, and I shouldn't even mention the name. Don't look him up. All right. I, I, I find him funny, but he's dirty. Okay. But now I'm, I'm confessing this is a struggle. And yeah, if you pray for me, I, I'd appreciate that. But if I'm my own authority, then, then, then I'm determining what's good, moral, and true. But I'm not. I'm trying to be a good Berean and go to the scriptures and, and filter everything, even my entertainment, through the lens of God's word. So how do we do this? How, how do we become good Bereans? I'm going to close with, with four things, four things that, that are right in our text. They're right pretty much all in verse 11. So Acts 17, 11. let me read it again. Now these Jews, that is the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Number one, they were eager to hear the word of God. Does that describe you? Are you eager to, to be eager means ready, willing, enthusiastic. Does that describe you when it comes to consuming the Bible? And notice I didn't say reading the Bible. I said consuming the Bible. I want to offer you a, a word of encouragement here. Reading the Bible is good. Yes, we should do it. But perhaps you're like me. I, I struggle with reading. I do. Uh, I get sleepy. Uh, I, I don't have great reading comprehension. I'll, I'll read a, a paragraph, and then at the end, I'll ask myself, what did I just read? And I have no idea. I don't know if this happens to you. It's like I'm on autopilot. And if I'm not retaining it, I've, that's not very good. But I need to consume God's word. So how do I do it? Well, it's not so much through my eye that I get it as through my ears. I, I listen to the word of God. I listen to sermons. I listen to podcasts where they talk about God and his word. I devour hours of audio content in the car, mowing the lawn, folding laundry. You know, it's just the way I learn. But here's the point. You got to get it in you. You got to get it in you somehow, some way. Think about the food that is in your refrigerator right now. That food, as it sits there, is doing nothing for you nutritionally, for your body. Not while it's in the fridge with the door closed. What do you have to do? You have to go over to the fridge, you have to open it up, you have to take it out, and you have to consume it. And this is actually what the Bible says about the Word of God. The Bible itself uses this metaphor, that it's milk, that it's meat, it's nourishment for our soul. The first step to being a good Berean is get familiar with the scriptures. I mean, this, this couldn't be more obvious. I mean, this, the, the, the points don't get more basic than this. I mean, if you're going to compare something with the word of God, 
you got to know what the Word of God says. Obviously, right? The Bereans were eager to receive it, and we need to be as well. Point number two, the Bereans, they examined the Scriptures. Now, that doesn't sound like what a lot of us do. I read my chapter. I spent my 10 minutes in the Word of God. Check. I'm done. On to something else. No, these guys examined the Scriptures. For us, I think we're a little too busy. We got a whole laundry list of things to do that might include laundry. We got stuff we got to get to. You know, we read a chapter. Never mind, we just had five questions, five verses, or a ton of things we didn't understand. No digging deeper, no further examination. Off we go. We did our due diligence. But Luke says these guys are, are examining the scriptures. This doesn't sound like a cursory skim through. These people are studying. Do you study the scriptures? Do you labor in the text? We're not going to mine the precious jewels of God's word with a passing glance. A brief surface level study of the Bible will only produce a superficial understanding of it. And I'm guilty of that as well. And if that is your approach, you know what? You're ripe for the picking. False teachers will come along and they'll dupe you because you just have this surface level understanding. You don't plumb the depths to dive deep. And that's what the Bereans were doing. And if you and I would do that, that will protect us from the multitude of lies that are out there. Point number three, question, how often did the Bereans examine the scriptures? Answer, daily, daily. They were not only eager to receive it and then dive deep to examine it, but they did this consistently. This was a day in and day out activity for the Bereans. And, you know, consistency in, in, a, in a daily practice, that, that truth goes well beyond this Bible reading here, right? Like if you, if you want to drop some weight and, and you want to lose like 20 pounds and your plan, to, your plan is, well, on Monday, I will uh, eat nothing but fruits and vegetables and I'll do five hours of exercise every single Monday. But from Tuesday through Saturday, you're pounding pizza and chips and ice cream. And the only exercise you're getting is curls with a spoon in your hand as you shovel down chocolate chip cookie dough. Is that plan going to work? It's not. I know I've tried. It does not work. You must be consistent. It is a daily grind. Every day, be regular with it. Last point, the Bereans, they made application. Not only were they eager for it, not only did they examine it daily, but if you do those things without application, it's all for nothing. Because all you have at that point is knowledge. You just have knowledge, but you're not having the Word of God do what it's designed to do, which is to change you, to affect the way you live, the way you think, and the way you operate, the words that come out your mouth, all of that. You must apply what you're reading because it can and does change lives if you act upon what you're reading. Examination without application gets you nowhere. 
And the Bible itself says this. James chapter 1. James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're just fooling yourself if you're, if you're hearing it and not acting upon it. So how do I know that the Bereans made application? It's actually in the very next verse, verse 12, the first five words there says, many of them therefore believed. And when we read the word of God, the applications can be different, but often it's believe it. It's believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Often that is what the message is of the scripture. John, I love this in John's gospel, probably the most popular gospel, right towards the end, he tells us exactly why he wrote it. If you ever wanted to know, you don't have to wonder any longer because he told us. He said, these are written, my, my gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So a good Berean will be eager to hear. A good Berean will study the scriptures daily. And a good Berean will make application. That is what God wants for you, Mr. or Mrs. Adult. That's what God wants for all you kids that are watching. And that's what God wants from me. So let's follow in the footsteps of the faithful Bereans. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who communicates, that you don't just keep all that knowledge to yourself, but you share it with us, that you reveal truth to us, because otherwise we would know nothing of you we would know nothing of how we are to, to operate and behave in this world. We would just be left to our own devices. But you have spoken, Lord. And probably for, well, most certainly for the majority of people within the sound of my voice, we have a Bible. We have it. It could be stuffed in a drawer somewhere. Uh, we, we, we probably do have one somewhere in our home. Uh, but are we taking up and reading it? Are we there to study it and learn from you? Take that milk and meat and let it nourish our soul. I think about the availability of the scriptures that you can go into community aid and they got a bin there, Bibles, free. And I think about all the things that we purchase and we, we go out and we buy and we think that's, that has value. Those things have value. Meanwhile, the most valuable thing is free. It's free to us. And, and you've given it to us. We have the words of life. Lord, I pray that we would be good Bereans, that we would submit everything that we encounter in our lives, everything under the authority of your word, and that it would guide and govern, govern our lives. And we would apply it so that we might look more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. If you'd stand, then we'll dismiss. Oh, holy judge, here is my heart. What can I say to you? 
Where could I run? How could I hide? Darkness is day to 